I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations. In the name of the Lord, here's my coffee. I'm Paige. And we are going to get ready to go into Timothy, doing chapter 5 today. I hope you all are doing well. All right, let me make sure that's set up. It is. Well, let's get started. Chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man harshly. All right, there you go. You guys have to take it easy on me. But exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. All right, well, Timothy was a young man, all right, like in his late 20s, early 30s. And it would be a little awkward sometimes with him leading a community in Ephesus and the churches in the area being young, first of all, having to deal and perhaps uh, discipline an elder, that would be awkward. And sometimes dealing with younger women and widows could be awkward. Uh, there's no mention anywhere where Timothy was married, so he has to give special care uh, in dealing with the women in his community. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Now, widows were particularly vulnerable in ancient societies because pensions and government assistance, life insurance and the like were not available to everyone. Widowhood could be a severe test in the Greco-Roman world since women were usually not the direct heirs of their husband's wills. Rather, the widow had her dowry as well as any stipulation that the testator, her husband, made for her care to his heirs usually the male children of the marriage. If the sons or sons did not care for their mother, or often their stepmother, the woman could be in dire condition if her dowry was not substantial. One Greek will from the mid-2nd century, for example, leaves all the property to the son, but the use and the income of the property went to the man's wife for the duration of her life. But this was not always the case, especially among those who were poor. Paul goes on to say, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these children or grandchildren should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God, and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now for years, I thought, I used this verse, verse 8, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I used to think of it as um, 
aiming at the men of the household, being the breadwinner of the household. But in context, he's talking about taking care of extended family. Um, widows who are really in need, if they have children or grandchildren, those children or grandchildren should step up and take care of the old widow. Apostolic teaching emphasized social responsibility. Even in the pagan world at that time, people generally took care of their own family members, extended family. This verse teaches nothing about a man having to be the breadwinner. That's not the impetus. The impetus is if you have a mother or a grandmother, especially, who is widowed, you need to take care of your, you need to take care of your own family. Um, this is strong language. This verse says anyone who doesn't provide for their relatives, especially their own household, has denied the faith. This is strong language indeed, so we must carefully heed its message today, especially in our day of fragmented families. Our culture is different. Divorce and widowhood plagued, plagued families in the first century. However, there were usually no governmental institutions to substitute for the family. And it's not unusual for a household in antiquity to include a widowed sister or an aunt or cousins. And it was normal for elderly parents to join the household, for there were no rest homes or care centers in antiquity. Paul's instructions show just how vital the home is as a fundamental, divinely ordained social institution. We are required to take care of our parents and our grandparents. No widow may be put on the list of widows. Now, that's interesting. Ephesus had a list of widows. I'd like to know more about that. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. A note from a commentary I was reading, and it says, The church in Ephesus seems to have maintained a list of widows supported by the church. While there is no other evidence in the first century of an official position held by widows, comparable to that of the overseers, one would develop in early church history and later be transformed into the role of a nun. I thought that was of particular interest. As women became widowed, and didn't remarry, devoted themselves to the things of the Lord, to ministering to the Lord's people, devoting themselves to good deeds, the church began to recognize this and to actually turn it into an office, which would become nuns. I thought that was amazing. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. Hello, Sir John of Joseph. How are you doing, Chief? For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. All right, well, it seems to me that this list of widows carried with it a pledge of some kind, that you would serve the body of Christ, that you would, what Paul mentioned up here, uh, doing all kinds of good deeds, helping those in trouble, practicing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, um, if you made it on that list, this was this is a pledge you took. This is just my impression of it. But if you were a young widow, there's a chance you might remarry. So Paul is kind of saying, 
I don't put young widows on this list. When they over when they get over their grief, when they come through their period of grieving, they start desiring a husband again. That's kind of what he's talking about. So if they were to get on that list and make a um, pledge uh, to serve the body of Christ and then want to get married again, they might break that pledge. And I, it, The only thing I can think of is that this pledge included uh, them remaining celibate, uh, unmarried, and which would be appropriate for an older woman. You know, a woman in her 50s or 60s back then. Uh, she's approaching the end of her life, lifespan, normal lifespan. Um, it would be appropriate for them to declare that they wouldn't be mar become married again and they would serve their, the remainder of their lives in service to the church. And that might not be a most appropriate thing for a young widow. Uh, they bring judgment on themselves because they've broken their first pledge. I, that's what I think that pledge was about, but I don't know. I'm just thinking with my mouth open like I swore I would do at the beginning of this. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. Uh, if the church is providing for them, they don't have to go work. They don't have to go out and do anything. If, if they're being provided for, then th their entire day is free time. And they become busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So, he says, I counsel younger widows to marry. Again, to have children, to manage their homes, and give the enemy no opportunity for slander. But he said, some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. So apparently, this issue, apparently this issue of, of widows is a considerable issue in the church of Ephesus because Paul is, Paul is using a lot of ink to talk about it here in this letter. If any woman who's a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them. So the church can help those widows who are really in need. Paul wanted the church to focus on widows who have no family support. We need to take care of those in our midst who have no family support. And if you have a widow in your family, uh, it's incumbent that you take care of them. Paul is pretty strong about this. This would have been a major issue in a culture which women often married young. Husbands were much older and often died much earlier than their wives, leaving younger widows. So if you're a younger widow, you should look to, you know, look towards remarrying rather than putting yourself on this list of widows again. Now he switches directions. Talk about widows for a while. Now he's going to talk about elders. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, namely they're worthy of respect as elders, and they're worthy of financial compensation, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. That word work is translated toil. Uh, it's like concentrated toil, like putting a lot of effort into something. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. This is important. I think this is pretty cool. Paul cites Old Testament scripture, Deuteronomy 25, 4, where he says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. 
and a saying by Jesus taken from the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus says the worker deserves his wages. Now, Luke was Paul's companion, so it would be uh, no surprise to me that Paul probably would have read Luke's account uh, of Jesus. Um, and that, that saying that Jesus said, uh, the worker's worth of his wages is Luke 10, 7. By implication, this quote from Luke designates by Paul, Luke's gospel as scripture on par with the Old Testament. This is perhaps one of the first times where something that is in the process of being written is considered scripture. Paul equates it as scripture. He equates what Luke says as scripture. Thought that was very interesting. Ephesus and other Greek cities at the time had a body of elders called the Gerousia. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. The elders of the church don't really correspond to this group in every way. But like the elders of the Jewish synagogue, they show the important governmental role of older men in the social and religious life of the ancient communities. We cannot stress enough that religion, society, and politics were not separate spheres in antiquity as they are today. Hence, the public priests, court officials, fathers of the clans, and city council members were normally one small group of elder men in the city. The elders would work in all of these arenas. There wasn't a separation of church and state, if you will. He goes on to say, don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove publicly before everyone so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality. Do nothing out of favoritism. Timothy would be under an awful lot of pressure as a younger man. These older men might want to impress him or impress upon him their position, their authority, etc. Um, Timothy had to be had to work very hard to be impartial and not favor anybody. He said, don't be hasty on the laying on of hands, which is talking about the appointing of elders, and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. In other words, don't party with them. Um, don't share in the sins of others. Don't be drug into uh, taking one side or another without proper evidence. You know, it's, it's one of the hardest things to do when people you respect are in disagreement or having an argument. One of the hardest things to do is to stay on the outside of that argument. If, a, if an elder is sinning, doing something that goes against what the standards of that office require, and several other elders come to you with evidence concerning that, this has to be an incredibly awkward thing for Timothy to deal with. So he, he tells Timothy, keep yourself pure. Don't share in the sins of others. Don't be too quick to appoint elders. Uh, I was in a church once where uh, the leadership of the church, the qualifications had nothing to do with the spiritual things that Paul talks about in chapter 3 here, uh, quality of overseers and elders. Uh, they had people that were split up into areas of responsibility. Someone was responsible for the, the building and the grounds. 
someone's responsible for finances. Somebody was responsible for uh, the Sunday school ministries, the teaching, that stuff. And their requirements were, if you were over building the grounds, was to be in the construction business. And so we ended up with people who were very good at construction and taking care of buildings, but were not spiritually qualified to be elders in the sense that Paul's talking about here. And yet they were called elders. Uh, in some traditions today, deacons take on the authority, take on the position of elders. What, what we call deacons sometimes are in fact elders where they, they run their different aspects of the church. Well, this one church where I was at, again, your secular abilities had greater, uh, had greater uh, impact on your area of service than your spiritual qualities did. That's wrong. That should be wrong. Um, so don't be hasty in laying on of hands. You know, that again, becoming an elder takes time. And if you look at the qualities in chapter 3 that we talked about, um, it takes time to observe someone's life. So don't be hasty. He says, stop drinking only water. Use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Apparently, Timothy was ill. And he says, now the sins, he goes back to elders, the sins of some elders are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious. But even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. That's why in order to appoint and establish an elder in a church, it takes time. You have to observe their life. You know, their their children. How do their children respond to them? Well, you know, we're talking perhaps a period of a couple years of observation. How do their children respond to them? How do they act with their wives? How do they respond? How do they re how do they take care of their families? Uh, how do they interact with the Word of God? Uh, you know, there's it takes time. You, this is nothing that you just do in a in a week or two. Timothy has to be very, very, very careful, especially him being a younger man in a place with older men. All right. Oh, John, see what you got to say here. Yes. I agree, John. Excellent. Um, you know, culturally, it's not the same today. Uh, taking care of family members, it seems like. Um, we do have government institutions, uh, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, that help with the financial side of it. But uh, when it comes time, many times some of the old, elder folks get put in a home and they are abandoned by their family. Uh, I used to minister in an old folks' home, and there was this young lady, a young lady, she'd love it if I, when I called her that. There's this lady that, uh, uh, this was an Easter service. I went and did an Easter service. I would preach and sing songs. And this lady was all dressed up in her best Easter dress. And she told me her son was coming to visit, and she was so excited to see him. Well, he wasn't there at the beginning of service. While I'm preaching, this man comes in 
sees her and her face lights up like a million dollar light bulb. He leans over, whispers something in her ear, kisses her on the cheek and turns around and leaves again. And her face fell. I've never seen someone so heartbroken. This man came into the church service, kissed his mom on the cheek, told her goodbye and left. I wanted to do something very unelderly like, unelder like, uh, and knock him into next week. He wasn't caring for his mother, a widow. This is such an important part of, of the Christian culture, taking care of your own family. Hmm, lots of stuff there. All right, well, that's uh, it's a short devotional today, but uh, my voice is shot. Um, I'm throwing off a cold or a cough or something. So I'm going to uh, hit the road tomorrow. We finish up Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. So until then, ladles and jelly spoons. This is my coffee. I'm Paige. I'm out of here. John, thanks for participating, my friend. God's blessings to you. Bye-bye.